Today, we will be speaking about launching a career in the progressive space. Our guest is Becca Watts, who is director of the Progressive Talent Pipeline. So welcome, Becca. And to start off, maybe if you could just give a sense of some of the different kinds of places that people can end up working in the progressive space, and in particular, places that might touch on foreign policy. Absolutely. And thank you for having me tonight. I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, So thinking about different uh, places, especially with foreign policy, uh, ones that are top of mind for me with what I'm doing with Progressive Talent Pipeline are going to be in Congress, and that might be in a personal office or on a committee. Uh, Thinking about the exec branch, uh, so things like State Department, USAID, Uh, international departments of places like Department of Labor, some of the White House counsels, uh, opportunities like Foreign Service Officer, um, and then outside of Congress and Exec Branch, which right now is uh, more my wheelhouse, um, there's also spaces sometimes uh, on campaigns. Uh, A lot of times that'll be more larger presidential campaigns uh, than some of the smaller ones, but I've seen foreign policy advisors uh, for those in volunteered or paid roles. Um, And then I also come out of previously more of the advocacy think tank space. Um, So there's a lot of great groups that are doing research, advocacy, um, things along those lines. So, you know, awesome groups that I think you all have probably highlighted some of them before of Quincy Institute. I came out of the Center for Economic Policy Research, our friends at FCNL uh, or AFSC, When Without War, Just Foreign Policy, uh, Madre, NIAC, all kinds of awesome places. Um, There's also space in journalism um, and writing about a lot of these topics. So lots of different directions to go and probably some more I'm forgetting, but those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. Yeah, and I know we had, you mentioned FCNL, the Friends Committee for National Legislation. We had Heather Brandon-Smith speaking at our conference uh, just a few weeks ago on uh, war powers and, uh, you know, presidential authority on, on national security, some of the authorizations for use of military force, which are, are, uh, are still out there. So that, you know, there's, there are definitely some very live issues that people can touch on. And, you know, and there's a lot of ways to approach that in the workspace. You know, you could be legislative staff that's working on it day to day. You could be at a research oriented organization that might be trying to articulate new directions people could go or create a sense of unease with the status quo. Uh, And then there might be advocacy orgs that are trying to bridge that gap or mobilize people at the grassroots to, to care about this. And then of course, there's the world of campaigns and elections, you know, which is about changing the balance of power uh, to make certain things achievable that might not have been before. Uh, so how about your own career? You mentioned you spent some time at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. How did you, where did, where all did you go over the course of your career? And how did you really break in and kind of decide those first moves that you were making? Like mm-hmm. what opportunities to take, what directions to go? Absolutely. Uh, I will preface the story with it is not exactly linear. And so I think people will find that that happens as well. Um, So for me in college, I focused on international studies and Spanish. Um, Out of college, uh, I worked for a nonprofit uh, that was more uh, direct service oriented, uh, was working with uh, migrant and first generation uh, children in Baltimore City and after school programs. 
From there, I went to Mexico for a while. Uh, I had a Rotary scholarship, which was awesome, uh, though I don't think that variation of the scholarship exists anymore. Uh, and I went and I did a master's in Latin American studies down at the UNAM, the National Autonomous University of Mexico, um, and did a thesis that uh, had intense field work that focused on the experience of individuals that had been deported and were back in their small town. Um, so did a number of interviews and uh, uh, a very long thesis in Spanish on that. Um, and so then when I came back to the States, uh, I was with the Solidarity Center for a little while um, uh, as an intern coming back and then a little longer uh, working on migrant worker rights issues. and. From there, I went to CEPR, the Center for Economic and Policy Research, which is a think tank in DC. They focus on both domestic and international issues. I was on the international team um, and that covered a lot of, uh, focused a lot on Latin America, which had obviously been a lot of my background there. Uh, was there for a couple years, uh, but during that time, CEPR uh, was one, uh, an organization and a coalition of groups that started the Progressive Talent Pipeline, uh, which I will get into a little bit more detail about in a minute, I think. Uh, but I started uh, kind of balancing both uh, my international role and then working on this new exciting project uh, with Progressive Talent Pipeline. Um, I will say when I was at CEPR, so it was think tank, uh, some more of like research and reports, et cetera, uh, events, but then also working with Congress from the outside. So looking at different foreign policy or root cause issues of things. So the experience from the outside there. Um, and yeah, so started doing kind of both of those projects. And then end of 2019, I went full-time to focus on Progressive Talent Pipeline as the first full-time staff. And that's what I'm doing now. So no longer working uh, directly on foreign policy day-to-day, -day, but uh, definitely looking to connect with progressives in lots of areas, including foreign, uh, including progressive foreign policy. Yeah. So, so tell us a bit more about the Progressive Talent Pipeline and, and your, uh, you know, since you were there kind of in its very early days, what was the, the genesis of it? Why, why did people say this is something that needs to exist? Absolutely. So the Progressive Talent Pipeline, I will say we don't have any direct hiring power, but what we do is we identify, endorse, train, and help in the job search process for progressives that want to work as staffers in Congress or the exec branch. Uh, we believe that personnel is policy and that staffers make a huge difference in the work that happens uh, day to day, uh, especially in Congress and the exec branch. Uh, the member is the one that has their name on the door, but they won't be able to be an expert in everything. And so the staffers are working on the legislation and the letters and who are they meeting with and who are they listening to. Um, Historically, there's been a pretty insular hiring experience, and that meant to get a foot in the door, you needed to be able to take an unpaid or underpaid internship to have worked on a campaign, which, you know, is not necessarily stable ongoing employment, uh, and hope that they won and they hired you, um, or to have previous connections with that district and that office. And that really leaves a lot of people out. 
Uh, also, if folks have started their career in another direction, there's not necessarily a clear path of how to shift gears uh, later on. And so when we started Progressive Talent Pipeline in 2018, it was really to help build on-ramps for progressive thinkers, policy professionals, communicators, organizers that wanted to work as staffers in Congress and the Executive Branch. I will say this was around the 2018 elections. And so there was a couple thought processes. You know, people involved had seen these issues for a while of, you know, we needed to help create these on-ramps, but it was definitely a time when there was an expectation that there would be more progressive offices coming soon that would need to hire new staff. And there was also a moment of excitement where a lot of people, uh, both getting elected, uh, but outside of that, were saying, oh, I might want to work in politics. I never thought there was a space for me. And how do I do that? And so really trying to, to build on that momentum and help create those on-ramps. Um, and uh, so we are looking for people who will creatively fight for progressive priorities, but then we're also, we also value diversity across various dimensions. And so we want the folks who are crafting and implementing policy to represent and understand the diversity of this country and including communities that can't afford high-priced lobbyists. So we're thinking about you know, who these folks are and what experiences do they bring with them. Um, and so since we started in 2018, more than 150 of our endorsed candidates have secured employment in Congress with the exec branch. And we've been really proud to watch and support endorsees who have grown from entry, mid-level career uh, to, you know, more mid-senior and leadership roles throughout government. It's been really exciting. Uh, we also have folks who have come through our network who have been involved in the new uh, Congressional Progressive Staff Association, as well as other exciting initiatives. So kind of to wrap that one up, uh, you know, we work in the space of uh, congressional exec branch staffers. And while we don't have any direct hiring, uh, we're trying to help folks who are interested in that space to get there and to be a resource. Yeah, and I know you guys have a uh, an application open right now, and I dropped a link in the chat uh, for those of you watching here on Zoom uh, to this application uh, that runs through uh, 9/11. You know, what's the what is this application? What's the what's the program like? What are people applying for? What do they get? Sure, absolutely. So we are currently recruiting for our 2022-2023 cohort. Um, there is the application process, uh, as you said, so you can follow the link, uh, find out a little bit more. I'm happy to talk through a little bit more what that looks like. Um, for folks to make it to the next round, there's an interview, and then we will decide who we will endorse. And so for our endorsed cohort, what that looks like, we will they can use our endorsement uh, in their applications and whatnot to, hey, I'm endorsed by Progressive Talent Pipeline. Uh, we do a range of trainings around, you know, what are these jobs like? How do you find them? How do you apply? How do you make yourself a good candidate? Uh, what is the day-to-day -day like? And then looking at different issue areas um, as well. Uh, so a variety of trainings uh, and then offer support throughout that job search process. I send job openings on a weekly basis. Um, we support with different uh 
resources and uh, connections. We can occasionally put in recommendations, uh, et cetera. And so for folks who are applying, it is a free program, uh, though it is generally pretty competitive, um, of who we are able to accept and endorse into the program to be able to provide that support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what makes someone a really strong candidate for that? You know, what it, what it, what is kind of your core vision? Sure. So we are looking for a range of folks, right? Um, of it might be more entry level to more mid or senior level, and it might be individuals who are focused specifically on foreign policy, or maybe they're generalists. Maybe it's environmental areas. So it comes from a different, a few different places. Um, but generally, we are looking for progressive thinkers, policy professionals, communicators, organizers who want to support the kind of policy objectives that, for example, the Congressional Progressive Caucus has led on. So a lot of those different issue areas. Um, we really value, I think, at all levels, uh, strong writing skills and interpersonal skills are really valued in these types of jobs. Um, and then from there, it's going to depend a little bit on um, you know, entry level, there's a little bit more flexibility, uh, but, you know, kind of what have you been involved in and worked on either uh, academic, volunteer, uh, et cetera. If you are looking to go into a more policy position, then do you have something uh, that you've worked on policy in a, a different capacity, transferable skills? Um, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know you were speaking about the the uh, the training that you do for folks. I was looking at the syllabus that you had posted for a previous uh, session, mm -hmm. and it was it was really impressive. All the different topics you're going through, and I saw the foreign policy panel that you had. I was like, oh wow, these are some great people to be uh, to be learning from. So it's definitely a great uh, a great orientation to Washington, and I think it's also cool that folks are getting have the opportunity to get that orientation not just for the ability to break in but there are a lot of people when you come to Washington who want to take you under their wing and tell you how it works and a lot of times they're representing like some narrow interest that wants to really tell you like hey you know here's why we really need this you know big expensive destructive foreign policy like i know a lot of people tell you it's not it that it's bad, but it's actually good. You know, it, it, there's it, so it's. I think it's important to have people who are representing that kind of perspective. Uh, you know, be in the conversation uh, because there are just so many entrenched interests in Washington that are already pushing for this stuff and helping people find their feet in Washington. So, just to stick on this theme, you know, even both within and beyond the, the context of the progressive talent pipeline, how do people get jobs on congressional staffs? Like if you're, if you're someone who's coming in as an outsider, maybe your entry level, your early career, you know, you maybe worked in the think tank space a little bit, or you're just coming out of college. How do, how do people make that transition? Cause I, I've, I'm not a Hill guy, but I've always had that same impression of, it's like it, it's an insular world. You have to know somebody, uh, you know, the best way is just to like go intern somewhere. Well, my first plug is going to be apply for the Progressive Talent Pipeline and we can help with that process. Um, but in general, um, I think one of the first things that's important to note is that every office is really its own hiring office. So it's not like you apply to one HR and, you know, everything's the same, but any individual office, uh, you know, uh, personal office or committee is going to 
there are some parameters, but it's going to be, you know, their hiring priorities and how they decide to uh, divvy up salaries in the budget, um, what their work culture is like. So knowing that going in, I think is important that each uh, thing you apply for is going to be its own kind of little world. Um, and so there's definitely places that are uh, public facing for job openings. Um, the, for example, I'm going to name a couple I could don't have links to drop in at the moment, but you know, you can sign up for or they're online of the House Majority Leaders and Employers Job Announcement Board. There's a House Employment Bulletin, there's a Senate Employment Bulletin. So there's places jobs are publicly posted. Um, I guess Town Pipeline sends out our weekly uh jobs roundup. Uh, but not all jobs are going to be posted, but that'll get you a lot of them. Um, and then I would say networking is really important. Um for a couple of reasons. Um, it's important that you really understand kind of the roles and what they entail when you're applying to them. And especially so you can talk about, here's why I'm a fit and really connect the dots that you know may not be obviously, what are those transferable skills? Um, and so understanding the roles, you can do that, you can read on that, but if there's anyone that you can talk with uh, in informational interviews and, and whatnot, you know, that really help understand those. Um, it's also great to have people kind of looking out for you. Are there jobs that haven't been publicly posted or that they can flag for you and it missed or that they happen to know someone and can recommend it. Um, a lot of times it can be a little, you know, insider baseball and it can be a problem. Uh, again, part of what Progressive Talent Pipeline is trying to help with, but can really be helpful both of understanding a little bit more, um, having people look out for you, hearing about jobs, et cetera. Um, offices are going to also want to know that they can trust their staffers, right? There's a lot of sensitive information and things. So if you can have someone that vouches for you um, as a candidate, that can really go far. So some of those relationships, if you can uh, build those, even if it's through informational interviews or whatnot, can be really important. Um, and I think it's also important to name that there's a lot of factors that go into it. So part of it might be, you know, on paper, are you a qualified candidate? But there's additional pieces even beyond that. So this can be both, I don't mean it to be discouraging. I also mean it to be, you know, if you're not getting that job, it's not just you, you might be qualified that, you know, do you have the specific experience, but also, you know, is it the right fit with the vibe of the office? Is there other things they're looking for internally? Is that office going to prioritize uh, ties to the district, which is a great way to to look at it and think about roles of, you know, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Where, you, where do you really know the district, especially for a lot of entry level roles that really value geographic ties, you know, but is the office and that role in particular, are they valuing the geographic ties? Are they valuing prior Hill experience? Are they valuing the, you know, your area of expertise and this XYZ thing you did? So you don't always know that going in. Um, so just thinking about that, uh, that there are a lot of factors, but I would say, you know, there's public facing places where these jobs are listed. Think about any networks that you have working connect to think about, uh, geographic ties you have, um, and know that there's multiple things that kind of have to click. Um, the one other thing I kind of want to name, not specifically answering this question, but just about roles in Congress is there's actually been a, a number of exciting things happening in the past year or so, um, in terms of, uh, for example, recently there was a 21% increase in the House MRA, which is basically the budget that each house that each, that each personal office gets and can use, for example, towards salaries. And so there was an increase that's meant to go towards salaries. 
Uh, also, for the first time ever, the House implemented a minimum wage floor um, of 45000 um, which I believe goes into effect or has to be in effect by September. Um, Hill is not always known for great pay, uh, but it's great that they are allocating some more funds and implementing a, a wage floor on the Senate side. Uh, I believe it's a recommended, but not necessarily enforceable. Um, but hopefully we will see an uptick in uh, some of the salaries because that can uh, be a challenge for some people. Um, there's also a new Congressional Progressive Staff Association that's been around for about a year now. Um, again, you know, excited to have seen some people that went through our program that have been involved in helping that get started. Um, so there's really, I think, more of a welcoming space for progressives. Um, and they're doing a variety of things, whether that is um, you know, professional development or networking, um, policy working groups, that kind of thing. But that's pretty cool and it's been around for about a year. Um, and then you may have heard about there's the unionization effort that's happening. And I believe at this point, uh, eight offices on the House side have filed. Um, I believe more will be coming. Uh, I'm a big supporter of unions and think they do great things. And so hopefully that will also continue to improve uh, working conditions and a lot of things going on on the Hill. So just a few things to name in the realm of, of Hill jobs that uh, are happening and I think are really exciting. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've, I've definitely known that, uh, you know, a lot of people will kind of balk at some of the salary. So it's good to see that there's there's increase there. I mean, especially because the amount of uh, power and responsibility that people have at that level is is totally out of proportion uh, to the pay. Um, yeah. What about committee staff? You know, how do, how do people end up in those kinds of roles? Because a lot of people, for instance, a lot of people in our community are like, hey, I'm a foreign policy person. I want to touch foreign policy stuff. Does that mean I need to go work for the foreign relations committee? How does that work? Or, you know, am I looking for a member that is really invested in this? How, what would, how would you approach that? I think you can approach it either way, um, that there are going to be you know, uh, individuals in personal offices that have the foreign policy portfolio. It's going to depend a little bit on the office. Is there a person that is pretty much dedicated to foreign policy and that's what you get to work on? Or is it someone who covers foreign policy along with 15 other things? So it's going to depend. Um, obviously, the member uh, members range uh, quite widely on where they are on foreign policy issues. Um, and so there are also, as you said, the, the committee options uh, where the committee would focus on that more specifically. Um, I think we had kind of discussed of, you know, there might be a perception sometimes of if some of the committees are maybe not quite as progressive as some individual offices would be and thinking through that part of the process. Um, and I think it's going to be a calculation for any given individual, because we can talk about that of committees versus personal offices, but even comparing personal offices of where are you as an individual going to feel comfortable working? Um, are you going to be want wanting to be in a space where you are, you know, almost entirely aligned with the member of your personal perspective and views and, you know, you only want to work at XYZ offices because you're totally aligned and you want to work on that? Or are you open to working for a member where ultimately, as, as I've said, their name is on the door. They ultimately, you know, make the final call, but work in a space that maybe you have some disagreements, but you can, you know, share your views and, you know, 
talk through things and kind of present your perspective, though ultimately, as I said, it's going to be the, the member's name on the door. Um, but what kind of environment are you working in? And there have been people who have come through our network who, you know, some working in incredibly progressive offices and some work in much more moderate offices and different people have different experiences there of kind of where they enjoy working or where where they're able to do that. So part of it's going to be a kind of like a personal calculation. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely uh, considering personal where would you have mostly that portfolio versus a variety of things versus committee. I will also say that, uh, you know, Progressive Town Pipeline, we're working with folks who are specialized in a lot of different issue areas or are even just generalists. Um, it can sometimes be challenging for progressive foreign policy to find those spaces that they open up and that they open up for progressive foreign policy. So, you know, acknowledging that that can be a little bit more challenging sometimes to to get in there. Uh, but I think there are options. Yeah. And so another kind of dynamics, career dynamics question, you know, you, you kind of mentioned like, hey, 2018, uh, there were a lot of uh, Democratic members coming in. And so there were all these these op new openings for jobs. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what are the, the the professional dynamics for trying to get a job, whether whether you're already on the Hill or you're someone who's trying to get into the Hill in those kinds of circumstances versus uh, situations where the number of members on your side is shrinking and, you know, maybe I think as an outsider, you might think, all right, so there's a game of musical chairs happening here with a bunch of people who are already insiders on this. Why should I try to break it? I'm curious how those dynamics change in different kinds of transition. Absolutely. That's a good question. So, as I said, when we started, it was 2018, there were a number of new offices that opened up and had to entirely staff up. Um, depending what happens in coming months, right? Um, so if we talk about it from personal offices, uh, that's gonna be looking specifically at, you know, which offices, uh, you know, Day and win their election or a new offices coming in, um, or there's, you know, for example, uh, Rep. Andy Levin, who, you know, co-sponsored and helped the union get started. He just lost his election, so will not be in the next Congress. So, you know, that those staffers will need to be looking for new roles. Um, so in terms of breaking in, there will be some, some shuffling around, uh, but that's more looking at office by office of, okay, what offices in a personal capacity will be hiring, will exist uh, in the coming Congress. Um, committees uh, for, in that situation, you know, both uh, majority, minority, both have staffers, but the majority party will have more staff. And so if they go from minority to majority, they will be hiring up. If they go majority to minority, unfortunately, they will probably downsize. So there will probably there may be a situation in which uh, if a party goes majority to minority, that uh, that there will be downsizing of uh, committee staff. So I think uh, if we do see large changes like that, uh, there are will definitely be some shuffling around uh, that happens. Um, at the same time, I think there is still very much a need for progressive staffers. I think there is still very much uh, 
a need in that space. I think the dynamic may change if you're working in the majority versus working the minority um, of what some of that work looks like. Uh, but there's definitely still, even in the minority, a lot to be done and a need for the progressive staffers to be there. Um, we'll also say, uh, when you're talking about that a little bit, um, so in the dynamic of campaigns, um, that, you know, that is also an opportunity of if uh, staffers are working on a campaign and they win, there, you know, there are many times that there are folks that they have already worked with that they will then hire as their full-time staff. Uh, a lot of times campaigns between volunteers and paid staff may be larger, so they're not going to hire everybody on, they're, they are going to hire uh, probably a mix of folks who might not have Hill experience with people who have the experience, uh, but that is an opportunity uh, as well there. Um, and then we might get this a little bit later, but uh, larger picture, if we're talking, you know, this is not a presidential election cycle, uh, but when we talk about uh, exec branch, there's also a difference between politically appointed roles, which change uh, based on administration versus career roles. So we can get to that too. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into some of that, but we've got a question from one of our attendees who asks, uh, you know, if I'm about to graduate from undergrad, so they're looking at the entry level, uh, and they're still not totally sure about what they want to do, is Progressive Talent Pipeline something they should consider applying for? Could that be a good program for them? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think one of the benefits of Progressive Talent Pipeline, uh, if you are in that situation, is uh, we really look at what some of these roles are like and kind of like what that uh, ecosystem is like, how to apply for some of them. Uh, I share both, you know, events and trainings that we do, but also some of our ally groups, um, uh, different opportunities uh, that I think the cohort might be interested in. So it can be a, a space a little bit kind of to explore and have some support in exploring some of those options. Yeah, and so so you you mentioned campaigns, and I mean obviously it's an election season, so there's a lot of people working on campaigns or like election focused issue advocacy things like that. Uh, a lot of folks in our community are already kind of involved in that. How do people stand out in that world and then maybe turn it into a job? Like how how does that how does that work? Because I've heard people talk about the value of campaign experience, but I was never a campaigns guy myself. So I, I know I'm not familiar with how you make that happen. Sure. Um, so campaigns can be a really good opportunity to gain a lot of experience and a solid level of responsibility, even in a very short amount of time and even as a volunteer. Uh, so I would say if you are on a campaign, even if you're volunteering, uh, figuring out what is needed and how that fits with your skill set and how you can really uh, merge those together and make a contribution. Uh, a lot of that will be in kind of campaign world skills. So um, things like voter contact and engaging volunteers. Uh, but you can also look for opportunities uh, that maybe relate more to things that you are interested in. So uh, for example, if you're interested in some of the communication space, then seeing if you can help the comms director or campaign manager on things with media. Um, and so even being able to uh, help with that, learn from that, uh, and then also be able to speak to some of your experience with that uh, down the line in the future. Um, ideal situation, candidate wins, really likes you, and you have uh, a better connection for roles when they're hiring. Yeah, and I've you know, and I've definitely heard people say if you work hard and and really stick out as someone who's effective in a campaign space, that you can move up 
pretty quickly uh, within the campaign staff. Um, another thing that's you know kind of out more toward the grassroots are district offices a good path into the world of the Hill? Yeah, I think district offices can definitely be an opportunity as well. Um, I think, uh, especially for some of the folks who are more uh, either doing internships or entry level, you know, thinking about those geographic connections can be really important. Um, and so district offices can definitely give you a, kind of a first look and insight. The work is going to be a little bit different in general, you know, district offices are going to tend to be more focused on the district and constituent services uh, versus in D.C. is generally where more of the, the policy is happening. It's not always true. There are times where some of the, you know, typically uh, ledge or comm staffers sometimes work out of the district or things like that. Uh, there's also, you know, some of the more entry level staff assistant legislative correspondent roles that are in D.C., also do a lot of uh, constituent facing work um, in terms of phone calls and letters and that kind of thing. So there's some overlap there. Um, every now and then I have seen some people struggle with when they uh, get really focused on constituent focused work in the district of how to make that jump then if they wanna do policy in DC. Uh, so figuring out how to then balance that, but especially starting out um, or internship um, and getting an understanding there. And if you have a connection there, yeah, it can be a great experience. Yeah, and you, you mentioned communications roles there, and I know that communications, in addition to policy, is like one of the priorities for progressive talent pipeline for your cohort. Uh, why, why communications and what makes people stand out for that? Because I think a lot of people in our world are, uh, you know, they know the policy, they understand, they're mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to do policy. What What's the communication space like and, and why does that matter? Sure, Absolutely. Uh, so I will back up slightly to answer the question and say that we generally focus on policy and communications roles. We also do have some folks who come to us who are interested in the constituent services and outreach or some of the administrative and scheduling space or some of the kind of tech focus. So there's other areas as well. Uh, our main priority is policy and communications. And that is because we're looking at uh, the crafting and implementation of policy, and then also communicating it. Uh, it has to exist, but then also, you know, communication uh, is important to get the message out there. Um, that might be of, you know, communicating it back to the district level that, you know, this member did these great things for policy for this district that will help them go towards re-election and then also help the staffer keep their job. Um, that can be communicating, you know, progressive foreign policy wins that, you know, the messaging can be really important. Um, and so communications, uh, you know, it's really valuable uh, to be able to communicate complex issues concisely and make them easy to understand. And we're talking about that also in different formats. And so whether that is, you know, internally a one pager, or if that is a press release or talking points for a speech uh, or social media, uh, but both uh, internally and externally, how to message and communicate that important policy that is happening. So this is not just a, uh, you know, communication staffers are important, but this is an important skill for policy staffers as well. It's not just, you know, you can't turn in a 15 page, here is my important policy. Okay, what is your four sentences and your one pager uh, of how do you communicate that uh, clearly and concisely? Uh, and so 
for uh, communications, you know, there's a lot of transferable skills that folks have worked on campaigns if they've done uh, communications in uh, think tanks or nonprofits um, or, you know, other types of uh, uh, work. Uh, there's definitely overlap there, but, uh, you know, important of they need an understanding of a base level of all of this policy to be able to communicate it. But then it's important that this message is getting out there and that that's being successfully done. Yeah, now let's pivot over to those presidential executive branch uh, executive branch roles. How do people end up in those roles? And are there a lot of opportunities for early career people? Because I know, you know, some someone uh, in my network uh, was talking about how uh, she was in for a meeting with a uh, you know a, a, an appointee at the Department of Defense, and was like, "This person's younger than me. They seem to have a similar background, and yet they're on this other side of the table. How did they end up there? Like, how does that happen?" Sure. So when we're talking about exec branch, there are two types of roles. So one is politically appointed roles, and that is going to change uh, based on the administration. For those types of roles, you would apply through the administration. Uh, You want to be as specific as possible about your background and what you are interested in, but you're not applying for a specific role. Uh, there's something that comes out right now every four years called the Plum Book, and that lists all of the different politically appointed roles. But when you apply for this, you're really saying, here's all my experience. Here's things I'm interested in. Are you interested in me? It can be a little bit of a black hole of hearing or not hearing back for it. Um, But generally, again, the overview is they will then reach out to you. Um, There's still ongoing opportunities for that, because even though you know, we're going to be two years in, uh, people change out of roles and things move around and some things take a while to fill. And so there will definitely be various cycles throughout administrations of, oh, we need to rehire for this or, oh, this got filled and now we need, you know, staffers for them. Um, and so those are politically appointed. You apply generally, uh, be as specific as possible. You can't update your application. Um, and then there's also career roles. And so those you apply for a specific job, um, you're going to look usually on usajobs.gov, and those are not affiliated specifically with an administration, and so they would continue. Um, So those you can set up various search functions um, depending on, you know, what level and what location and, uh, you know, what agency or department, um, and you can look there. So again, as I'm going to do throughout this uh, Progressive Town Pipeline can help some of the orientation around this. Uh, But another group that's really fantastic on their resources is the Partnership for Public Service. Uh, Really has a lot of guides of getting into government and the different levels. um, And they have a lot of really great resources to explore to help understand it. And um, we've partnered with them before. Absolutely. Yeah, they're a a great organization. Uh, And kind of you mentioned these, you know, kind of more standard government service roles that aren't politically tied. If someone has a longer term goal of working in a political role, uh, could a strategy be to go work in the kind of more civil service side, build up your experience and maybe network with more politically connected communities so that when you're a little more built up, you might be more competitive for a role? What do you you think of that? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't have the magic formula of how they staff up uh, many, many roles, but I think, you know, they are looking for a combination of 
what is your background experience? What is your expertise? And then I think the kind of connections and who's talking about what names and who's connected to who really helps. So, you know, I think that that definitely makes sense. Yeah. So to help out advocacy careers, you know, we mentioned earlier the Friends Committee on National Legislation, Women Without War, Just Foreign Policy, some of these groups. What makes people stand out for those kinds of roles? You know, what what's the work that those organizations are doing and then what sticks out for someone who's trying to break in? Sure, absolutely. Uh, it'll depend a little bit on the type of role that, you know, within those organizations, there are some that are going to be more uh, research and writing and policy focused. There's some that are going to be a little bit more, you know, outreach and, uh, you know, getting uh, individuals to engage in campaigns with Congress uh, or interacting specifically with Congress. So it might depend a little bit if it's more, you know, research, research or writing or uh, uh, outreach or interpersonal heavy um, and type of role. I'm thinking, you know, for me specifically, when I went into the role that I went into previously, um, you know, it was really valuable what they were looking for that uh, I had the academic, but also some of the personal experience uh, in various places in Latin America. I was fluent in Spanish. Uh, and so, you know, some of those things really helped in terms of when I could do translations and uh, interact with uh, groups in both languages, et cetera. Um, so it's going to depend a little bit on the role. But uh, there can be a number of things. A lot of these organizations will value, for example, some congressional experience. Uh, if you had an internship in Congress and understand how it works on the inside, then you're gonna understand a little bit better how to communicate from the outside and what will be effective and what makes sense. Um, so, you know, that can be helpful. Um, previous experience on advocacy campaigns, um, there are a lot of different ways to get involved even in volunteer capacities right now of things on foreign policy issues, on sanctions, on immigration, on Yemen, on war powers, uh, you know, that you've, kind of shown uh, interest and knowledge and understanding and that you've done something on it. Um, uh, possibly uh, political or campaign experience. Um, some of those kind of organizer skills can be helpful depending on the role. Um, I think in most jobs, strong writing is, you know, almost always valued. Um, but it, you know, are you able to publish uh, on some of these issues, have you written somewhere, but uh, kind of just showing, can you, your writing skills, and then also, you know, uh, your perspective on the issues, what are you writing about? Um, and then I would say in general, just kind of knowing key issues of whatever this organization, whatever this place is focused on, um, are you up on the current events, on kind of the thoughts around it, on the discourse? but also recognizing, okay, what you know and fantastic, uh, do your homework, but also recognizing when you're not the expert yet and that's okay to keep learning and where can you go for answers and find those answers. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of the other issues you mentioned earlier that I'd like to dig into a, a little more is that you know there's a lot of folks who are coming in from underrepresented backgrounds or maybe from difficult economic circumstances and they're saying, all right, I don't know anybody who's worked in these spaces before or I can't afford to, to work for free or for very low pay. Is, is there a way into the kind of progressive space uh, particularly around foreign policy, particularly oriented toward the Hill for that individual? Mm -hmm. 
it can definitely be challenging, unfortunately. Um, and again, that was partially part of the reason that Progressive Talent Pipeline was started, was thinking about folks who didn't have those prior connections, et cetera. Um, and so there's, a, there's kind of two pieces to that, right? Which can overlap of the, I don't know anybody or I can't afford, uh, you know, some of the, these salaries. Um, I do know some people who have worked second jobs uh, to work in Congress. That's not an ideal work-life balance. And as I said, there's are some changes happening right now that hopefully salaries will be going up in terms of the increased budget and uh, wage floor, et cetera. Uh, hopefully that continues to increase because DC is expensive. Um, but there are other options. There's sometimes, uh, for example, some paid fellowships. Um, so I know there's one that uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus Center has a number of fellowships uh, that are paid and do training and placed in Congress. And at least one of those is foreign policy focused. Uh, I think their deadline is coming up beginning of September, uh, right before ours. Uh, so that's an option. And then, for example, not necessarily foreign policy focused, but Hill or specifically progressive, uh, but some of the institutes that are affiliated with the Tri-Caucus will also have uh, paid internship and fellowship options. So the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies, the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. So, you know, if that uh, fits your background, they uh, provide opportunities uh, paid for training and to get on the Hill. Um, that wouldn't necessarily specifically be uh, progressive foreign policy. Um, there's also uh, diversity initiatives on both the House and Senate side uh, that if, you know, you are a diverse candidate, according to the, you know, whatever that means to them, that there's some additional layers of, of help and guidance um, that they can help you with uh, around the job search. Um, but yeah, so I think there are, ways, I'm trying to think what I left out here, of can't afford, hopefully salaries will be going up. There are some paid options as kind of stepping stones to get into full-time roles. Um, do I not know anyone? So again, some of those networks can really help. And then I think there are ways to um, build those networks so it can be hard to get started. If there's anyone that you know who's in this realm that you can connect with and think through, uh, you know, no, on LinkedIn and anyone is uh, in a, you know, your school network or something like that. If you can find someone, I think it's pretty common in these spaces to say, hey, can I have a coffee? Hey, can I do an informational interview? Uh, which a lot of times was in person and, you know, in COVID times, virtual has become much more the norm as well. Um, and to do a brief conversation about, you know, what their job is like and how they got there and understanding that and then asking, hey, is there anyone else you'd recommend I talk to? Um, so I think it can be scary to do that. Um, and, you know, it can be, you may or may not get an answer if it's a cold email, uh, but I think there are a lot of spaces in DC that people understand those dynamics and are willing to help and have a brief conversation. Uh, so just trying to start build those connections, uh, just trying to figure out kind of where to start. Yeah, I know a lot of people are kind of intimidated by sending those kind of emails, but really just asking, you know, how did you get to where you were? I'd mm -hmm. love to, you know, spend 15 or 20 minutes learning. I'm considering going into this field. I mean, that's that's really it because a lot of people overthink it. And that's often that's 
that's enough. Uh, especially if you ask several people, you're going to get some yeses with that. And some other uh, paid opportunities that that I'm aware of. Uh, historically, there have been a number tied to uh, like nuclear policy, nuclear weapons policy, arms control. Uh, I know the, the arms control space has had a lot of upheaval in its funding in the past couple of years, but I know that those have existed in the past and those are worth looking into for folks interested in, in that issue set. Uh, and then on the uh, on the more government adjacent side, uh, the private sector, for, for instance, there are private sector development firms that like help do international development for the U.S. government that often are better about paying, better about being able to sponsor visas for folks who, who might be not U.S. citizens yet, you know, that there are, there are paths like that. Um, and then there's also the Scoville uh, Peace Fellowship, uh, which is plugged in with a lot of progressive uh, advocacy groups and think tanks that I, I've seen a lot of people break into Washington through. Um, but what about more mid-career senior folks who are maybe looking to break into that hill and government world? Because I know I know that that's something that you guys have listed on your website for the Progressive Talent Pipeline. But what about that transition? My plug again, apply for the Progressive Talent Pipeline. Um, but I think in that space, uh, it's really thinking through what are your transferable skills um, and when you're in those doing those applications, really connecting those dots. Um, I think there are ways that it's not necessarily obvious, but really communicating how your experience and knowledge kind of connects to those type of roles. Um, and then again, I think a lot of it also is helpful with kind of like the networking and the communications to people know you're interested in that, uh, to hearing about kind of what's going on there. Um, have people kind of look out for you and know, know that you're looking for those and interest in those types of roles and really kind of uh, uh, having those conversations as well. So what about folks who, you know, may, are maybe living, want to work in the Hill and maybe they're living in a state that, you know, is just like a solid red state, red congressional delegation, red, red Senate, uh, you know, maybe you're a Democrat from Wyoming or something like that. How should you approach thinking about like Hill offices that you might want to connect with? I mean, say you're, you're from Wyoming, your family's from Wyoming, you took all your vacations in Wyoming, you went to the University of Wyoming, like, you know, you don't have ties outside of your state and there's not really opportunities in your state. How would you break that down for them? Like how, how might they target their outreach if they're thinking Hill? Yeah, that is a good question. I can think of a number of people who were in that situation and decided to intern or have their first jobs in those types of offices where they did not personally really align. Uh, it is something where then, if it is a big gap between types of offices you'd like to work in, you will need to explain that going forward. Uh, but I think there's also an understanding of the strong importance of district and geographic ties. And so I think a lot of offices will get that. So I do know cases that it has exist um, and they either have explained it or some have removed it from their resume going forward. Um, but I can think of a number of examples there. But again, are you personally going to be OK working in that office if you don't feel like you are aligned uh, with the values of that office? It's going to be the decision there. Um, and then I think there are other ways 
to reach out in other opportunities. You know, I, as I said, district geographic ties are really important, but they are not the only and the deciding factor. Um, so pursuing, you know, other offices that you're really intrigued about. And can you make the argument of, you know, because this issue area is really important and you've worked on that and that you also value that, or this is how your experience and your personal experience overlaps with something. Um, what else can you do that would connect you with other offices if it's not geographically um, in terms of experience and uh, expertise and uh, interests and whatnot? Um, I'm trying to think. And then also, you know, if committees, they would have the chair has an affiliation, but the committee itself is not necessarily going to be doing the same thing of, you know, constituent services of where they want the person answering the phone to be from the district. Um, and so, you know, there's opportunities there. There's internships and entry level roles um, on committees as well. Uh, so I think a couple of ways you could go there thinking about the Hill. Yeah, we just got a follow up uh, from uh, from Lillian in our Q and A. I think to that earlier question, you know, for folks for folks who are who are older who are trying to break into that world, is there any hope for us? She asks. Uh, into that world, I think there is hope. Um, it's going to depend a little bit uh, of what your experience is so far. Um, I think there. A lot of times, you know, on the Hill specifically, it can be a lot of it is very young, not entirely um, of people get started as interns and work their way up very quickly. Um, and so it can be more challenging if you're coming in uh, more advanced in your career and don't have that experience. Um, but it's going to depend a little bit right of have you worked with, um, you know, a think tank or an advocacy board that has worked with Congress from the outside. So you've not worked on the inside, you've worked on the outside. I've definitely seen people make that jump very successfully because they can kind of speak to, they have a basic understanding, they know the policy area. Um, you know, is it a committee that needs a certain area of expertise and you have that from academia, from a think tank, from something, and you know, you're able to focus on, you bring that specific expertise that they're looking for. Um, so it's gonna depend a little bit. If it's something where you haven't done anything in policy and you suddenly want to jump into a policy role, that's going to be more challenging. Um, but I think there, there are possibilities, but it's going to depend a little bit um, on kind of specific experience and transferable skills and whatnot. What about people coming from, uh, you know, say from prior military service, like veterans uh, who are trying to transition into that world? Have you guys seen folks do that successfully? Um, I don't have a ton of experience with that. Personally, we've had a few folks come through our network uh, that are former military. Um, I think from my understanding, uh, some of the, there's sometimes kind of constituent focused roles that uh, work on military and veterans issues, um, or potentially, you know, either if a uh, personal office portfolio or a committee uh, that values that experience. So it might need to be, depending what the role is, coupled with other experience. Uh, but I think there are definitely spaces focused on those issues that that is really valued. Yeah, I know. I've definitely heard people say like for, for military legislative assistant MLA roles that they're often looking for someone who either is a veteran yeah. Or, uh, you know, maybe has like a JD or something like that. You know, that's I a think there's also like wounded warrior 
congressional fellowships, though I don't know timing or specific requirements on that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, and now just to close out here, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's trying to follow in your footsteps professionally, uh, you know, maybe based on your own professional experiences, what, what do you think can make a difference for folks? Sure. Uh, my gut reaction to that one is following my footsteps. I obviously took, uh, you know, a not linear path and pivoted in what I'm doing in terms of the, uh, you know, Latin America, Spanish speaking, et cetera, to working on placing progressives. Uh, but I think part of that is, can be part of the message, right? Of you don't necessarily always know what might come next and directions it might take and being open to that. Um, and then I think, I would also say, you know, I've mentioned networking a few times in this conversation and to kind of put a little more context around that one, networking, not just in a DC transactional, what can you do for me way, but really, you know, if you can building relationships and maintaining those relationships of, you know, are these people that you both change jobs a couple of times, but you're going to be colleagues eventually, or you can partner in things on coalition and you can brainstorm and come up with these ideas together. Uh, so really kind of building those connections, not just in a transactional way, but in a, you know, ongoing to work towards, you know, in my perspective, progressive priorities um, and how you never know how that'll look going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Washington is a, is a small town and, uh, the best kind of networking is to realize that ultimately you can provide value for each other, uh, even though it might not be immediate if you're just trying to break in. But uh, we've been speaking with Becca Watts of the Progressive Talent Pipeline. I'll drop the application link in the chat one more time so everybody has a chance to, to go check it out. Closes uh, for applications for the current cohort on the 11th of September. Uh, so thank you to you, Becca, uh, and to all of our guests uh, for attending. This has been another digital discussion with the John Quincy Adams Society. Good night. Mm -hmm.